Hello and welcome to the Coast to Coast College Admissions Podcast. Each week, we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how difficult this process can be, so each week, we try and make it easier to navigate. Now, here's your host, Anna Wren and Mark Hoffer. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coast to T- Coast College Admissions Podcast with your host, Anna Wren and Mark Hofer. Hi, Anna. Hi, Mark. We're so excited to have you guys all here. We apologize for the brief break, but you know, the holidays and everything catches up with us. But we're really excited to talk about the return on investment of using an independent educational consultant. Absolutely. I think uh, that's one of the big buzzwords we hear, not only in our industry, but I think in college in general and uh, other professions as well as what's the return on investment for uh, somebody who uh, pays for something? What do you get back? And I think this, this is a, a really good and a fair question in our business as well. Absolutely. You know, as the fact that we are IECs, I feel like maybe you would like to offer a little disclaimer before we get started because we do and we are going to try to offer as much as we can of an unbiased view, right? Right. And that was one of the things I think when we talked about this subject, we know that we're we're, uh, definitely biased um, and we'll try to, to identify those things that we can talk about objectively that describe what we do and why we do it and uh, some of the some of the things that surround independent educational consultants and uh, what they do. And I think it's really important because believe it or not, I think I get asked a question all the time of like, well, why should we hire one and how do we pick one? So we'll be talking about that as well in today's conversation. But let's first of all start and you know, for today's conversation, We're going to probably shorten independent educational consultant down to IEC, as they're more commonly known. And let's just dive in and discuss, well, what is an IEC? How do we define that? You bet. And that's, I think, one of the the interesting things about what we do. There are so many different aspects to what an educational consultant can do that when you talk to somebody, um, students or parents, a lot of times they'll say, well, I know exactly what that is. I've, I've... talked with somebody who has hired one before and find out that they've they have a very different perspective or very different definition of uh, what what an IEC does um, I'm curious what have you what's the most common definition that you hear when you go out and talk to parents and students well first of all I don't know how often I refer to myself as an IEC but yeah. sometimes it's easier to just say hi I help with the college admissions consulting process or I'm an extra counselor, if you will, because I think that's sometimes easier for uh, families to get on board with or to understand because they do already have a school counselor. Maybe we can talk about the differences of why a family might want to have both available as an option. But I typically say what I do is that, you know, we provide counseling to um, like, students that are preparing and you know for the college admissions process but it's not so much that oh we just help you with your applications and your essays but really kind of act as I like to think of myself as a mentor that can kind of really focus on the student and their needs and their uh, preferences because you know college is a really big decision and we're here to kind of help I think alleviate stress um, and tension within the family as well what would you say we do 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you bring up uh, one of the important distinctions that uh, we often, uh, when we talk with parents and students, that um, they think uh, a lot of what we do is the same that uh, high school counselors do at the school. And one of the one of the interesting parts about that is, um, while I know that a lot of high school counselors would love uh, to have the time to be able to do what we do, a lot of them have so many other things that they're attending to that it's a very different job. And I think we work hand in hand with a lot of high school counselors and um, hopefully the, the work that we do uh, only supplements and supports what they do in the school as well. And I, I agree with you. I think um, one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is this is what we do for a living. We're professionals who, who basically assist students and their and parents with uh, college planning and, and the associated uh, financial costs that are along with college. And um, I think that in a nutshell is what we do. And what would you say are some areas that IECs tend to focus on? And then also, I don't think we've ever talked about what we focus on either, but like, you know, areas IECs tend to work across because we're not just in college admissions. There's other areas as well. And then areas that you work in more specifically. Sure. Um, I think one of, the, one of the interesting things that when we talk with other uh, IECs, is we find out that they often focus on the things that they're passionate about or what their background and experience is in. And those, um, those tend to guide what they help students and families with. Not only, like you say, some of that doesn't have necessarily specific things having to do with the application process of college, but also things, I know, I know IECs who work very specific, uh, specifically focus on private high school placement and and that part of the setting up for college that's how they they work um, within the educational consultant umbrella I guess you would call a lot of a lot of uh, consultants they work in in uh, study and testing skills I, I know um, a number of people who who also uh, spe uh, specifically focus on things like essays and they they that's all they do within the college application processes is essays. And then there are people who um, have uh, specific areas of interest in you know, recruiting and athletics. Um, we, as we've talked before, we know uh, a lot of IECs who have focused their practice on international students. Um, That's true. Summer programs, gap year programs, that kind of thing. What, where, where do you specifically find your niche? I like working a lot with um, first-generation college students because I was a first-generation college student. So that's something I really um, care a lot about. And sometimes, you know, I work pro bono on this just because sometimes I think that happens to be the case. And I think it's important that they get the support that they might not get in a typical public school, for example. And it can be more confusing because they, they can't turn to their parents either. So I know what that's like. But the other uh, areas that I found, uh, I don't know that I've purposely sought out, but have been finding me are students with learning differences or students that have certain physical disabilities and that require a little more time and a little more patience, which is perfectly fine with me. And then the other areas are maybe related to the arts because that's also where I had a passion as well when I was studying undergraduate. But how about you? Because like you said, I think we are attracted to just even our own personality. And so we tend to find a similar work. 
Yeah, I, I have a really strange professional background and experience. Uh, so it, it kind of ties into a lot of the things that I try to focus on and try to help students with uh, in particular areas. I, I also have a music and art background and, and as a glass blower and a musician, I, I, I know the those industries, I know the art industry and the music industry and, and know the schools uh, pretty well. But I also have a background in most of the sciences and engineering. So um, the STEM schools is, is definitely uh, an area I'd love to focus. I know the schools really well and, and the programs and, and hopefully can set students up who are looking in those areas. Um, the other thing that I really love, uh, I see the college application process as um, a, a chance to develop uh, a lot of personal and leadership skills. And um, that my uh, doctorate's in educational leadership. And, and um, this is a great place where I think students can start preparing some of those individual leadership skills that not only uh, help them get into college, but help them when they're in college and, and when they start looking for a job. So those are areas that I love to work in. And, um, I, and I think uh, it's, an, it's an, a lot of those passions that uh, IECs have, that's, that's usually where they, they tend to help students and parents and, and are most effective. Absolutely, because they're more familiar with the process, I think, as well. Agreed, and, and you mentioned, um, and we've talked about this before, you work uh, since you're, you're first generation, and I, it, that the whole, um, we, we, know, we know that other IECs who work um, specifically with uh, international students, and because they have an experience in that either themselves or that that's where their background is and I don't have that so that's one thing I always I think a lot of um, educational consultants when they are provided a chance to work with a student who needs particular areas of expertise I would in that case I often find referrals for those students because I know they can be better served with somebody who has a, a specific background in those areas and I think the work that you do is is one that I definitely would I would identify those areas where I can provide a student with a referral more than uh, you know necessarily that's not the area that I'm best in. I agree. I think that's a really great point you bring up. Is one of those qualities, and we'll dive into this later in depth, but of a great IEC is knowing when to refer out and recognizing yourself as not being an expert, but finding someone or sharing resources that is better for the family. And I've had families who come to me and they really, you know, had a great relationship with me and so-and-so uh, in their life needs help, for example, with private high school placement, like for boarding schools or, you know, um, test-taking preparation. And those are areas where I will wholeheartedly admit that is not my expertise and I will definitely uh, try to find other IECs especially those within IECA which is the organization that we're a part of that may be better suited to help them um, and I think that's one of the best qualities of great IECs and what we do is that we're not selfish <laughs> and that we do always try to put the family's um, interests at heart. That's one of the things that I, I think, and we're going to talk a little bit about how to identify a good consultant to work with. And I think that ethical part and the professional part are so important that you work with somebody who has your best interests 
in mind and know that uh, they're trying to help you be as successful as possible. And I think that's one of the most important things when you're looking for a, for a partner to work with through the process. Absolutely. I even know, like, for example, I have a friend who's a fellow IEC and she specializes and she used to work in show business. So if I have students that are interested in the music or entertainment industry, she is my go-to person. Yep. <laughs> I know she has a background in it. But, you know, there's many different reasons we talked about that people might hire an IEC. But what do you think is the most common? Yeah, when when you it, it's interesting because the playing field is so large in in the kind of things that that people want particular help or support in, and um, I think the most common one for us has to be you know the application process and and just guidance through that 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 process. But I think more and more because of like the return on investment conversation students and parents want to make sure that they find the best fit college and I think there's more and more evidence that shows that doesn't necessarily mean it's one of the schools that's in the the US News and World Report you know top 10 list that uh, basically they need to find and want to find those schools that are they're gonna be happy and successful that's absolutely true and you know I think sometimes they like hiring us because uh, we have those conversations that they don't like to have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but let's talk about, like, I guess, what kind of benefits, I guess, are there? Because there's many tangible ones, you know, and I think one of them has to do with saving time. Like, how would you say you help families save time or IECs help families save time? You bet. I think the word that I use, um, I use it in education and, and, and in the work that we do um, very often, and that's intentional. Um, I tend to be strategic and, and intentional and, and actually ask students to um, think in that same route. And the reason being, um, if, you, if you develop an intentional plan, um, you're going to be more successful with your time and it's going to cost less and you are going to be more successful at the, um, not only the identification of schools, but also you, in your application process, you're going to be applying to schools that, that are generally a good fit for you. And those people who are looking at your application will hear that in your, your application for sure. I agree. And I think the other ways, I sometimes talk to families and, you know, I've read articles where um, a parent will actually quit their job temporarily to help their student with the college application process. Just because, and this is, I think, more common in um, Asian families, um, where they assign so much weight to college um, and their children's future that they will actually make that sacrifice. Uh, but, you know, I think it just speaks volumes on how much time is involved in researching and navigating the college admissions process that a parent might just quit their job just so that they can try to understand it all. Um, whereas I feel like working with an IEC, you know, I feel like my kids come to me at any time, random times, <laughs> with a question or parents as well, um, so that they don't have to just spend, you know, time scouring Google or something trying to find an answer. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all know in those areas where we we do our Google research, and it it sure when you work into something that is is so complex and has so many moving pieces, like the application process, and and which is changing rapidly. Um, there are so many different components between that and scholarships and entrance requirements that I think it takes somebody who does this full time 
to be able to stay on top of it. And I think to your point, if somebody, you know, basically makes it their full-time job, uh, it shows that there are many pieces to this and, and that is in an important process that uh, requires a lot of study and a lot of uh, research to do well and do it properly. Absolutely. What would you say are some other benefits? Well, one of the things that I think often goes um, under the radar is the amount of stress that um, going into this without a plan, without an intentional and strategic plan, um, creates a lot of stress because you don't know, uh, because you know it's so important, you know it's so expensive, and uh, mm. you read about uh, uh, how much uh, people, how much people how much debt people graduate with, that um, you know it's an important process to do well. And I think that almost um, hamstrings students and parents from actually uh, approaching it. Um, like you say, it's one of those conversations that uh, sometimes people don't like to have. But then the, the dangers of putting it off are, are so stressful um, going into it. So basically, I think one of the, the real important things that good counsel provides is that plan and know that you just need to check off the boxes and do one step at a time and take little bites and get it done if mm -hmm. you have that plan it makes it so less uh, stressful absolutely and I think you know you spoke about doing well in the process and I think for some families doing well is not necessarily the type of school you get into in mm -hmm. terms of rank or prestige but it's just helping them find a school where their kids are going to be happy at and, you know, be willing to stay at for four years. <laughs> um, and sometimes having that expertise and guidance. And, you know, most IECs do have a lot of current knowledge about schools, whether it be through the associations they're a part of, conferences they attend, uh, campus tours that they go on, um, can really help narrow that down so as to hopefully reduce transfer rates. But also, I think, um, to help encourage students to try and look at schools that maybe they hadn't considered before um, and to kind of uh, open their minds in that way. Agreed. That's, I think, one of the most important things. Uh, I work with a, a lot of students who are in underserved populations and in the community they might uh, live, they actually don't hear about the opportunities that are available to them, um, either because they think it's too expensive or it's too hard to get into. And in a lot of cases, it's just broadening their perspective and their horizon so that they even consider um, other, other types of schools or schools even outside of state, which sounds interesting, but it's true. Um, some students don't even consider anything outside of their state as a possibility. And I, I think, like you say, just bringing those, conversa those schools into the conversation can be uh, invaluable uh, later on. Absolutely, and I think you raise a really great point because I was one of those kids, and my brother and I both were, where we hadn't even thought about applying to private schools at first because we just thought there's no way our family can afford that. <laughs> Even if they sold their home, they wouldn't be able to afford that. Whereas someone like just an upper classman who um, ended up going to a really great school and getting a great scholarship has said, apply anywhere you want to go because there's this thing called financial aid. And depending on the school, you might actually get a lot of money for college. So don't let the price tag hold you back. And I think that was really helpful. And even now, like looking back, I wish I had had someone 
like an IEC to help me. And I think I would have considered additional options too, because at the time I was like, oh, I, I don't think I could ever get into this school or that school because we're so focused. And I think in high school to think about like our scores that you don't realize that there's other even factors that um, others that the schools consider in addition to that, that might make you um, a really good candidate. Agreed. There's, and you, you mentioned something that made me think about the, the one area that I think doesn't receive as much attention as it really should. And that's the scholarship, basically the horizon of scholarships that are out there. And uh, I think students that alone, um, having some guidance in how to approach that is invaluable to them because uh, any debt that they can off put upon graduation is uh, money in the bank, literally. So I think um, navigating that that scholarship terrain is, is for sure a definite um, plus that that uh, consultants can provide students. And I guess, do you, now that we've kind of talked about the benefits of an IEC, how would you say, like, you know, obviously there are guidance counselors at school too. So I guess for families that wonder, well, why do you need both? What would you say? Yeah, and, and we, I, th I think we hear that a lot, but the, the reality of what a, a counselor has to deal with in the United States is, is crazy. And I don't think that that's common knowledge. I think last year, the, the ratio of um, student to counselor nationally was 475 to one. So basically, a counselor has to keep 475 students and what they're passionate about and all of the things that go into their education in their head. And I think that's, that's almost criminal. But the uh, I, I actually saw a number the other day that in California, which I think has the highest ratio, it's, it's over a thousand students for every counselor, every high school counselor. And I think they have enough things that they're doing that have absolutely nothing to do with, with college where they need some help and would love to provide students with it. They just don't have the bandwidth. So I think mm. that's where we actually can come in and help that. That's true. And I think, you know, um, when we talk about the average public high school students receive, I think it's crazy, but uh, it's noted that, you know, they receive 38 minutes of college counseling over their four-year high school career, and only four in 10 report that they've had any college counseling. And while it may seem hard to believe, you know, just talking with my students and, you know, their parents, it's very much the case. And unfortunately for some families, the way it's been expressed is, you know, with so many kids, the, the guidance counselors have to concentrate their efforts and sometimes may concentrate their efforts on certain types of students um, or a certain students that they think are needed more. And then that leaves a large percentage, I think, that go uns unserved sometimes. And sometimes I feel like those are the types of students that do try to find an IEC just because they know that their guidance counselors at school are just so overworked. Yeah, and I, th I think that's one of the uh, the unfortunate myths that uh, students receive a lot of of college counseling while they're in school, and and that's in in, in a lot of private schools and public schools. Um, that's just not the case, and like you say, a lot of times counselors they have to attend to the needs of the students that they put on the highest order. And sometimes that's uh, only a handful of students in college counseling gets put by the wayside. So um, the reality of their job is very different from uh, what uh, I think a lot of people expect from, from them in, in the college 
counseling realm for sure. And I guess, what do you think helps, like, what do you think a good educational consultant can really bring to the process? Like, what is most valuable, you think, about them? You bet. Yeah. The, the most valuable thing I think they, they bring, not only the, the overall, uh, if, you, if you look down the long-term value of it, it, it basically provides, it, it's a plan. Um, an intentional plan that sets you up for success, not only getting into college, but also knowing why you go, why you're going to college, um, what you want to graduate knowing, um, mm. and which sets you up for a professional career. And I think if you go into it blindly, you run into those, those challenges and you run into the danger of getting into a school, um, not knowing why you're there, not knowing why you're in that particular school, and you can flounder for four years and end up with an incredible debt. Mm. And I think that is, is with just a little bit of attention can be solved. And I, I think that's one of the best things that we do is we provide some real simple solutions to setting you up for success. Absolutely. And it's not just success in college, but, you know, beyond. Um, and finding programs that are a really good fit, whether it be academic programs or, or otherwise. Yep, I agree. We've talked a, a lot about uh, kind of what we do and, and some of the things that are included with uh, the, the services that, that consultants um, provide. Um, do, you, do you know what, uh, how, how does it work? How does, it, uh, how does a, a college consultant work with a student and their family? What, what's the common, I've, I've heard lots of different stories. Some people only use, they, they completely are using Skype and um, they do, they use other technologies to uh, interact with students and their, and their families. Um, how, how do you work? So I work uh, mostly in person with my clients and I find that that helps. Um, the only time we might not is, you know, it can get really busy <laughs> during um, their first semester senior year. So if they just don't have time to make it into the office, then we will do an online meeting. Um, but especially when we have to like brainstorm essays or um, prep for interviews or certain things like that, we'll always try to meet in person. And then I guess one of the questions I have for you is now, do you, because uh, it's always kind of come up, like how, how does it work with the parents and the students? Like, do you have, when, if you do in-person meetings or even online meetings, are the parents present? Is it just the student? What have you found? You bet. I, I invite anybody who wants to come. That's my, <laughs> I, um, I love to meet in person and I love uh, parents to be involved in the process. Um, I also, you know, give a disclosure and an outline of, of what I hope to accomplish in, in the meeting and, and uh, during the work that we uh, do together. And, and I let them know that, you know, to be most effective, we, we try to stay on topic and on plan and, and try to get as much done. But I love to meet in, you know, face-to-face. -face. That's one of the reasons why I got into um, this type of work is to meet with students and develop a relationship that not only is getting into college, but helping them support through college and beyond. Absolutely. And I think we're in a really unique role because I don't know if you have this uh, situation, but I've also had parents come to me and, you know, they just feel like if they were to manage the process, they feel like they would hurt their relationship with their child, which is so crazy, I think, to think about just because they feel like the process is just so stressful. 
and creating so much tension in their house that they just feel like bringing in a third party would even help. Um, and, you know, I think I can even say that when my parents used to say, you should do this or you should do that. I kind of be like, well, what do you know? Um, you know, during that rebellious teen phase. Whereas I think like if you do um, have an IEC or someone else to help with that is known to be an expert in the field, it kind of creates a different work environment um, and relationship. Definitely. That's, that's one of the things I think I, I notice having been a classroom teacher for a decade, I, I know there are things that students will tell me that they would never tell their parents. And there are conversations that they'll have with me that their parents never hear. And it's not that they don't want to, it's just like you say, there's a certain, there's a different kind of relationship. Um, mm -hmm. And I think parents also understand. And if you provide them with an, a trusting outlet and they know that you're going to help their their child through a very stressful time and help their family in a stressful time to be successful um, they're your best they're your best champions I think uh, parents would love to have um, somebody who has the best interests of, of their family and their child um, taken into interest especially like you say during this stressful time of college when when they're trying to uh, set up for success I think that's a great uh, uh, way of looking at it is, you know, having that partner and, you know, I've had unique situations where uh, parents will say, well, this, you know, you know, are you uncomfortable with me in the room? And the kids will actually say yes. And the parents will then leave. And then, you know, they're like, I don't understand. And I'm like, you know, I think it's just the teen phase or sometimes, especially when I think it comes to their essay writing, there's just so personal stories that, um, where they, they don't want their parents to either know about or um, would feel bad, you know, having their parents know about. So sometimes they like that privacy. But I think, you know, most, if not all IECs will always keep parents up to date while still, you know, keeping the child's best interests at heart and keeping certain information confidential because they do know that, you know, it is, you know, you're working with the student and the student has to trust you. You bet. I, I, I had to laugh when you said, uh, uh, having a parent read your personal essay or your personal statement. And, and I think I've seen it a number of times because I, I encourage students when they finish their essay and, and it's a, one of the final drafts or even earlier to have a parent read it to make sure it sounds like them, that it's still in their voice and other people haven't messed with it so much. And it's interesting, I've had parents who have said, you know, I didn't know they thought of that situation or that experience in that way mm. and that it opens up a, a really unique conversation and it almost it almost acts as a bridge to a really good conversation that um, I think uh, most people don't see coming from an essay so yeah I can see that definitely happening in this process that's a great point it's a way to also build relationships um, and be more transparent so now that we kind of talk about like how we meet with our clients but how would you say like I think families care about like, well, how much do IECs cost um, and how, how do most IECs charge? Um, yeah. what, what would you say about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think if, if we're going to have the uh, conversation of re return on investment, we better talk about uh, how much does it cost. And I think much like we talked about earlier, um, the, the types of services that educational consultants provide is fairly diverse. 
and I think um, and I'll, the expertise that uh, some consultants bring to the table for particular areas is very different as well. And I think we can talk about averages and we can talk about uh, different fee schedules and that kind of thing. But it's also really important to know that uh, it depends on the particular service and the experience and also the geography where a person lives actually has quite a a difference uh, in the fee structure that uh, we often see. Yes, I would agree with that. And um, I think it's often um, portrayed in the media, you know, IECs, they charge X amount of money. And, you know, I, you said you've read um, one where an IEC was charging $60,000. And I've read ones where they charge hundreds of thousands of dollars. And these are mostly for international students. But what would you say is the real cost of an IEC? You bet. And I, I think we, we talked about this a little bit earlier that those, you know, exorbitant costs that we hear about that are just so off out of range and off the rails that uh, it, it tends to put some people at distance from even considering you know looking at what, what a counselor can provide because it, it in the back of their mind they've heard that it is just so expensive and that's I, I don't think that uh, the reality matches what we see in a lot of times in uh, publicity so a lot of the propaganda is not supporting what the actual costs are and one of the things we, we have to talk about when we talk about cost is there are different ways that uh, consultants work some some consultants work uh, hourly some consultants work only for with seniors in their senior year during that that uh, period in which they're looking at colleges and developing a list and I, I think other other people like myself I like to work through the four years because I see it as a long-term process What's the most common package or uh, amount of time that you work with students, Anna? Uh, would you say like per year or just over the, the, the lifetime? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, both, I guess, first of all, what's the average um, number of years that you would work with a student? So I would say most students are junior and senior year. I do get a few that come just senior year, uh, and I think that's just, natural because it's usually not on people's minds. Um, but I do tell families that, you know, if you come senior year, I can absolutely work with you, but there's not as much I can do for you because a lot of the things I, I you know, I don't have time <laughs> um, to try and, you know, guide them, you know, on picking a major or, you know, exploring certain things like activities or building that resume. But I do have some clients that start from freshman year too, where they can kind of have more of a, what they would consider a low key and low stress approach because we break it out. So, you know, we're checking in on academics and then, you know, talking about activities or different things to explore and building relationships, but that's happening over four years. So I feel like but it's mostly junior and senior year, but I think that's mostly because that's when it's top of mind. Um, but I work with, you know, families that do packages and then the families that do hourly. And, you know, I feel like most of us really do want to work with families and we'll try to find a way to make it work for different types of families in different types of situations, um, which is why even though that there, there are media stories that say, hey, you know, consultants charge like so much money, a lot of them also do pro bono work as well. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, this is their full-time job too, and this is what they are an expert in. But how about you? How do you typically work? You bet. Yeah, the, the common uh, right now, it's, it's almost 25% uh, 
for each one of the, the years in that uh, I, I have some students, I have 25% of my students that are four years bound and then you know another 25 that I work with for three years that were set up for that schedule. And then many juniors and seniors and like you say, a lot of times that's when it's, it's top of mind or front of mind where uh, that's when it, it really becomes a reality and they, they can no longer run away from it. So they know they have to address it. The, um, the curious part is a lot of times it's so much less stressful if you um, actually dive in, you know, with a couple, but like, like most things in life, if you don't procrastinate, if you dive in early and take little pieces, like you say, prepare for um, what eventually is going to be that college list and, and the application process. If you can prepare for that four years as opposed to uh, a couple of months, it's so much less stress. And I think that's such a big part of what we do. And in terms of how much IECs actually cost, I, I read somewhere like, on average, I feel like IECs are three to maybe five or 10% of what it costs for college. Um, and that's because I think the average consultant will charge between like three to $6,000 for packages. And I think like you said, it just depends on the area. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I, I think people are surprised about is um, where you live has an impact on how much um, the fee schedules will be for a consultant. And that just, it's driven by economy, it's driven by um, cost of living in that particular area. So a lot of that has uh, an impact on uh, how much you're gonna see for not only packages, but also for hourly fee schedules. That's one of the things that uh, I think people um, aren't aware of. There are those who work completely and exclusively with a, a fee with packages. And that's basically um, you're buying a chunk of time, um, be that hours or be that services. And then there are other people who strictly work um, hourly fee schedules. And have, have you ever, what, how many students do you work with at, on the hourly fee schedule? I think I would say most of my senior clients would be hourly. And I typically do that for families where it just, you know, it makes more sense to work hourly because I might think that you don't need as much time. So then we'll structure it at hourly. And I try to like look at other um, IECs in the area so that, you know, that way we're charging within reason. But it also, also like, like you said, you know, cost of living that we're able to cover costs because we do do this full time as well. But I know, for example, some families have gripes that or the media has gripes that you know how can you charge so much quote unquote without guaranteeing a student's results and what yep. would you say to that yeah the guarantee thing that's uh and and i think that's one of the biggest things that we cover earliest with um, students and parents is there are no sure things in this process and and while there are ways to set you up for a higher probability of getting into school and certain schools at, in no way, shape, or form should anyone ever say that they're going to guarantee they're going to get into school because um, I think you and I have both had students, we would absolutely be sure that they would get accepted to a school. They had all the goods and they were definitely all the numbers matched up and sure enough, they get a rejection letter. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, but there are so many times that I think the chances of uh, setting yourself up for a, a good application and getting accepted, doing it intentionally and, and with a plan 
there again, your, your probability of getting in goes way up. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like you said, there are, there are no guarantees. And I think it steers us towards the next topic of, well, what kind of, what should students look for and parents look for with an IEC if they were interested in um, working with one and what type of IECs kind of to avoid? Sure. Um, I think, and we've talked about a little bit about this um, earlier in the conversation, um, but the ethics thing, it really needs to be brought into the, the conversation. I think those who are, um, those people who are part of professional associations um, like uh, IECA, which is um, one of the national um, professional organizations for uh, consultants, uh, they, when you are a member, you actually sign on that you're going to practice and they have a very specific and clear and transparent list of um, uh, those uh, those areas of, of practice that you will um, adhere to and that you will act in, in an ethical way. Absolutely. And I think acting in an ethical way, uh, there's a few different things. Well, one of them is not guaranteeing acceptances um, because no one can do that. But I think along with that, um, sometimes I think some people will say like, oh, I have a connection here um, and I can talk to them. And I think you have to be wary of statements like that as well. Um, or like you and I, we had talked a little bit about referrals before, but, you know, trying to understand, well, do they, is there any additional incentive for them when they do those referrals? Like, I think it's good of, for us to refer out, but like, as you and I would agree, I don't think we should be compensated or that we are compensated for referring out because we do it in the best interest of the student and their family. Yeah. I didn't even know until I got into this business that there were people who actually do, you know, they guarantee getting into a school, which we know is, is crazy. Um, they also say that uh, th things like they will uh, be compensated uh, by a school for uh, identifying or getting admissions uh, students to look at their school and that kind of thing. I didn't even know that existed, but I don't, I've never met anybody who actually operates within those bounds. So I think it's, it's kind of very rare that uh, you'll run across consultants who actually operate uh, that way. What are, what are some of the questions that you would uh, suggest when you're looking for a consultant that would be during that, that interview, when you're uh, thinking about hiring a consultant, what, what do you think are good questions that uh, should be asked of a consultant? Some of them I think is like, what is your background? Uh, so both, you know, before going in, up and becoming an IEC um, and also, you know, um, what, you know, what do you specialize in as an IEC? Although not everyone has, because I don't think you have to have like specific educational training to be an IEC. Um, although I, I would say it's really great if you do, like even, um, you and I both um, work on certificate program um, just for IECs, just so that they have that education. But education also happens outside of the classroom, as we well know and advise our students as well. So, you know, like you had said, are they part of any professional associations or do they attend any conferences? Because I think that's all important, staying up to date on trends. Um, what are some that you would also have uh, families ask? 
Yeah, I, I, I also, um, I, I think that a lot of parents like to find out what the background of uh, the consultant is because I think a lot of consultants come from very different backgrounds. Some come from education, some come from admissions, some very different, some come from different industries. So I think it's important to know what they bring to the table from experience wise. The other thing uh, that I, I really liked, I like to be asked, uh, and I think uh, it's important to know is why a consultant is doing this kind of work. Um, mm. I, I think that that's an important part why we do anything, and you want to you want to make sure that uh, their interests are are also uh, your interests as well. So I think those are really important questions. That's uh, absolutely true, and I also want I think people should ask, well, how involved do they get in the process? Because I would say like helping students write their applications or write their essays should be a sign that you know. Um, they should probably not pick this consultant, even though it might seem easy to go that route, um, just because they probably are not in line ethically, I think. Agreed. Yeah, that's, that's you, you want to make sure that uh, everybody is on the same page, and I think that makes it less stressful in the process, a lot more successful at the end of the day when, when students are looking at colleges and everybody knows why they're doing so. I think that really sets the process up for success and, and, and uh, students will be a lot more happy as well as parents. Uh, so that's important. We've talked about why uh, it's important, we think, uh, and some of, the, some of the things that a consultant brings to the table and what they can do for students. Is a consultant, does every student need a consultant? Have you, have you run into those situations where you would say uh, a student actually doesn't need one? Absolutely. And I have no problem telling them that either, <laughs> um, which I think families really appreciate um, when you're honest. Just because if I don't think I'm going to be able to help them much, I don't think it's really beneficial for either party, um, which is why I always say, like, you know, it's important to meet in person and especially with the student and family before taking anyone on. Um, just because I think, you know, both sides have to find the relationship like beneficial. But I would say like some students are super driven and they're super organized. And I think that, you know, they can do the research and or they've already started to and they might not need help, you know. So what would you say? Yeah, I, I, like you say, there there are those students who are so strategic and they are proactive in that they've been, you know, they may be a freshman and have been studying this for three years before they even contact you. And when you sit down, they've already gone through many of the processes using many of the tools that are out there on the web and also their support system, uh, people around them. It may be, you know, they had specific questions that they could go ask a, a school counselor and were able to get really good advice on their school selections. So they may not even need the kind of guidance that a counselor provides. And in a lot of cases, uh, those students are very rare. Um, I don't know. I've run on to a handful and told them that, you know, there's very is uh, equal to or even more because it's personal. It's even greater than what I could provide. Mm, that's a really great point. And, you know, most of the time I feel like they've already got all their ducks in a row. Um, and sometimes you might be able to identify, well, if they feel they lack, if they lack confidence in a certain area, then that's maybe something you can work on. But like you said, I don't think every person needs an IEC. And actually, I think only 25% of seniors actually utilize an IEC. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's only 25%, and I think that has to do – I feel like more than 25% might, you know, benefit from the use of an IEC, but I think it's because a lot of people don't know that IECs exist. And I get that all the time. They're like, what? They, you, you do this? I didn't even know people did that. And, you know, what a great thing to do. But I do think, you know, like you said, you do, you know, it just depends on each family and each situation to determine whether or not that's a fit, right? Um, well, that's it. You, 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 it's interesting how many people I've talked to just in, in conversation. And, and when they find out that there is somebody who actually does what an educational consultant does, and especially through the college process, they'll say, well, I didn't even know someone provided that. I didn't even know that was was a service that was that's available. And that's when they get interested because uh, then you find out that there's a need or they know somebody. And that's that's one of the exciting things, I think, about providing the kind of services that we do is that, like you say, it's not, not everybody knows about it. That's true. And then I guess on an ending note, um, unless there's anything else you think we haven't covered yet, I wanted to just say like, well, you know, I think you brought up a really good, great question. Like, why did you become an IEC? You bet. Yeah, I, um, I came to this through education. And um, I mean, I was an educator to start out with. And then I was in industry and science. And, and then I realized that uh, working with students is really what I love to do. And I've been doing college counseling on, on many different forms of it for about 25 years. But the reason why I really love this work is helping students develop a lot of the skills that are going to help them be successful in the college application process, but also help successful in college and beyond. And I think I like that aspect of the work more than anything. And I tell students and their parents that I do this in kind of a self-serving way and that I love to build a real meaningful, helpful, and supportive relationship with uh, people as they, they transition into college and into life. And uh, I, I get just as much joy out of it, hopefully, than uh, that they do when they find the right school. What a great answer. Yes, I I wholeheartedly agree, and it makes me like warm in my heart when I hear from um, students, whether they're in college now and they're doing well, or they're preparing to graduate college and working and they're doing well. It's just, it's so heartwarming to hear that you've been a part of that. And I think it's like you said, it's not necessarily about the process, but it's, it's really about helping them find who they are sometimes. I really enjoy that part and helping them through that self-discovery and hearing about all their passions and dreams. I think that gets me really excited. And so I think those are all just little things that are so rewarding about what we do. It's funny you say that, the, the hearing from students. I think, I think that's probably one of my best, my favorite things is after they're in college. I, I have a... Um, I have a tradition, as a matter of fact, it's coming up this week, where I send um, notes to students that I've worked with for the past couple years and find out how they're doing. Um, I especially love sending it to those who are just finishing their first semester and getting the, uh, the real and uh, true statements about what their school's like and, and, and how they're liking it. And some of the things about the school, they are the greatest moles for finding out true information about school. They can tell you about the culture so that you can pass that on to the, to the next uh, group of students that you're working with. And I love hearing from them, especially this time of year. That's a great point. I know. And, you know, some of my students actually, this is 
uh, try to friend me on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. So I, instead, I do welcome that they send me a note and just tell me how they're doing. Um, and it's, it's awesome because they're like, oh, I joined this and I did that. And um, or my program is like this. And I think it's like you said, like they're our mole, but it's also just so rewarding to hear how they've grown. And um, I remember I had a student when I first worked with them, I was like, you talk so fast. <laughs> and you write so long. I was like, you know, I think one of the things we need to work on is how do you write uh, concisely and how do you um, speak in such a way that, you know, you don't sound like you're from the movie Clueless uh, or that you can slow down a little when you speak. And I just remember um, at the end of the process, they were just so thankful and they were like, you know, more than even just helping with college, they're like, you know, I, I actually know how to communicate and sound like a professional. And, you know, it's really going to help me in college and beyond. And I was like, well, that's, that's really also part of what we do here. Agreed. I think it's some of those things that don't have necessarily direct inference to the college application, but have direct influence to how they're going to be successful, period. Absolutely. I think we've had a wonderful discussion on the benefits of um, using or the ROI on using an independent educational consultant. And we wish everyone a wonderful holiday season and admission season. Um, and, you know, feel free to continue to send us questions. We did get a question about the gap year. Um, I just want to make sure we cover it. It was about if working during a gap year will affect financial aid. You bet that one of the real interesting things about that process is if you get um, accepted and deferred or accepted um, to a school and you're going to take a, a gap year and so your, um, your entrance is going to be deferred uh, for a year, um, you have to refill out the FAFSA form and you have to also know that if you've been working for that gap year, one of the things if you bring in enough money, you actually can change your financial situation in such a way that you actually can uh, move yourself out of some funding that was available prior to your working and gaining that money. So you want to make sure you know where that line is because you could actually, you could actually put yourself in a situation where you are paying more for school than what you actually earned during that year because you moved yourself financially in, in uh, a direction that you didn't know. So that's the one thing to really consider. And I think uh, it, it's going to be, we'll cover topics like that and others when we talk about financial aid <laughs> and how people can afford college um, on a future podcast episode. Thanks for listening to the Coast to Coast College Admissions Podcast, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each week when we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.c2ccollegepodcast.com. 